0: Hello, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS scientific podcast. I'm Mike Tarcelli, and I'm the scientific director for SLAS. Joining me today is esteemed graduate fellowship awardee, Karine Nemmer. How are you?
1: I'm great, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. So tell me up front, where is your research based out of and what did you win for?
1: Yeah, so I'm doing research right now at the University of Toronto. I'm a graduate student in analytical chemistry at the university.
0: Excellent. And tell me a little bit more about your actual pursuit of research. I mean, analytical chemistry is fairly generic. It is, you know, uh, obviously a science of quantifying things, but you can quantify just about anything and your application specifically.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I guess, more on the bioanalytical chemist side. So I generally work on projects in which we analyze biological species. The major focus of my graduate work has been on the detection of bacteria, and more specifically, antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So we try to make diagnostic devices that allow us to rapidly detect bacteria to administer the appropriate treatment eventually.
0: And why would it be important for a layman who might be listening to this that we detect antibiotic resistant bacteria? In what context and what would you hope to impact with that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I want to say back in the day where it was much easier to treat bacterial infections. So someone might come, you know, to the doctor and they have an infection. So the doctor would just prescribe them an antibiotic, sometimes almost blindly. And what that caused was a lot of bacteria strains to become resistant to very commonly used antibiotics. And when a bacteria becomes resistant to an antibiotic, that treatment is no longer useful to patients because when they're infected, they won't be treated appropriately with the antibiotic.
0: I finally remember, of course, having that giant jug of pink liquid that was handed to me as a child of a yes. or penicillin. And I'm glad those days are gone.
1: Yes. And penicillin is almost uh, no longer used because a lot of strains have become resistant to it. So as you can imagine now, when someone goes to the hospital or the doctor's office and they have a bacterial infection, we have to now become a little more strategic in which antibiotics we're administering. So kind of the goal of my research is to be able to, one, identify what type of bacteria has infected you, but also what antibiotic can we use in order to effectively treat the patient and kill this bacteria. We don't want to get into an issue where people begin to become very severely ill by bacterial infections, which can easily be treated if the appropriate antibiotic is administered.
0: So, I mean, at risk of oversimplifying, I know that there's at least two major subtypes of bacteria. you mind commenting on those, how they're the same and how they're different, and maybe which one you sort of target with your bioanalytical techniques?
1: Yeah, so I presume you're talking about gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. Sure
0: thing, that's the one.
1: Essentially, the difference between these two types of bacteria or these major classes of bacteria is how their cell membranes are formed or the type of membranes they have. My work specifically focuses on various strains of bacteria. So for example, we have Staph aureus. Often we talk about staph infections.
0: Gram-positive,
1: right? Or... Uh, so yeah, so those are gram-positive. And then we have gram-negative bacteria like E. coli. So those are are commonly known. Now, if they're gram-negative, it doesn't really matter, but I'm <laughs> you're more... You're
0: gram-agnostic.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. But I'm more interested in the actual strain itself. So... Knowing which strain it is and then figuring out which antibiotic to administer. So, really, to me, if it's positive or negative, it doesn't really bother me. But what strain it is, is is even more important. So, that's even more detailed information.
0: Excellent. I, I think it's a little tough sometimes for especially audio listeners, tabs, dragged into what bioanalytical detection of bacteria means. So, do you have a specific device that you use or a technique downstream from that device?
1: Yeah. So, I guess I also contrast it with what's currently used. So imagine you go to a doctor's office, they collect a sample. This could be a throat swab, a nasal swab, a urine sample, depending on the type of infection that they're diagnosing. And then they send that sample off to a lab. And in these labs, they'll have technicians who will start to manipulate the sample, do different things with the sample in order to get bacteria up to high concentrations that we can detect. And this can take up to a couple of days and you need incubators and and other different instruments and temperature control in order to do your detection of your bacteria.
0: Sure. And if you're deathly ill or have something like a flesh-eating bacterial disease, that couple of days gap is a problem for you.
1: Yeah. You want to get your results as soon as possible and you want to get the right treatment so A, you can get better sooner, but also that you don't start infecting other people and kind of spreading the disease. So my... the Kind of basis of my work is to have the ability to kind of do this detection in a shorter amount of time, but also the instrumentation is much simpler. So what I use is a microfluidic device, and that's a fancy way of saying a little device that manipulates small volumes of liquid.
0: Very tiny channels.
1: <laughs> yes, as opposed to kind of using milliliters. Now we're using a microliter scale, so that's can be kind of a tenth to a hundredth to a thousandth of the volume depending on kind of what we're working with. And then using these small devices, we can concentrate our bacteria. So now we don't really need to do any culturing to get them to higher numbers. We can detect smaller numbers, basically numbers of bacteria in a smaller volume so they become more concentrated. And then we can use different techniques like electrochemistry or fluorescence microscopy which they themselves can be a bit miniaturized to to then get our information as soon as possible and with minimal user input. So kind of having it as user-friendly as possible. So hopefully someone who isn't... I mean, someone with minimal training can manipulate this device.
0: So is it right to say then, by the way, that's amazing. And is it right to say then that you have skipped the steps of the intensive culturing and the identity because you can do that on your chip or in your microfluidic device? Are you also skipping the sampling step? Um, Are you getting this from room air or from sort of the environment? Or do you still have to do a sampling step?
1: Uh, You have to definitely collect a sample. But once you have the sample, you can In an ideal situation is work directly from that sample as opposed to having to to do too much pretreatment. So generally, what I'll do is maybe a filtering step, but that is quite simple and low-tech, let's say.
0: And does the uh, microfluidic nature of it and the sort of user-friendliness of it lend itself to smaller sample volumes? Can you now do with a drop of blood or spit what you could normally have to do with three or four mils of that?
1: Well, the sample volume doesn't... Necessarily make too much of an impact. Maybe just it'll affect the amount of time it takes to detect your bacteria. But the nice thing is you can take a sample, let's say one milliliter and concentrate it down to 10 microliters. So now it's been concentrated a hundred times. So you've increased your detection limit a hundred times. And you can concentrate 10 mils, or you can even concentrate more. So the, the fact that we're using microfluidics is advantageous that we can kind of concentrate our bacteria in a small volume. And we often do this using magnetic particles. But as you're getting at, you can also work with smaller volumes. So you can kind of get a finger prick of blood or you know, a small volume of saliva or whatever fluid you're working with to then detect your sample. So if if you're not doing pre-concentrating, you still really need very sensitive techniques, which can be somewhat challenging. But some people have achieved that before.
0: So I got to know, as a bioanalytical chemist, which I am not for the record, how does one get into this career track? Is this something that you wanted from a very little girl? You said, I will be a bioanalytical scientist someday. Or is it something that later on in schooling you discovered was your passion?
1: Uh, It definitely wasn't a childhood aspiration. I think when I was (laughs) younger, it's kind of ironic. When I was younger, I was kind of aspiring to be an author at some point, I remember. And also a teacher at some point. And now that I'm at this stage in my life, I've authored some papers. So I achieved that goal. And I've done (laughs) some teaching too um, throughout grad school. So I've kind of ticked those boxes. I think where I realized I liked bioanalytical chemistry was during my undergrad. So I did chemical biology. And not to get too deep into that, I studied a lot of chemistry with some biology. And you know, through my undergraduate degree, I got to do some. I was in a co-op program, so I did some research placements, and I also did a senior thesis. All this to say, I, I kind of discovered research and, and how fun that could be. But once I was done undergrad, I figured I wasn't ready to start working, so I decided to do more schooling. And
0: that's <laughs> as just often happens,
1: happened. Yeah, but it. To say I'm a bioanalytical chemist is kind of a, I would say a bit of a an umbrella term because, you know, I'm theor- that's my title theoretically, but on a given day, you know, I'm a microbiologist, I'm I'm a biomedical engineer, I'm a biochemist. It just depends on the day, it just depends what I'm doing. All of the research I've been doing has been very interdisciplinary. So at some point you just need to pick a title, but I wouldn't yeah. say that I'm explicitly that. <laughs>
0: Gotcha. And where do you hope to apply your skills once you're all finished with this fellowship and with graduate school? Are you looking to do a postdoc? Are you looking to go right out into the job market? Or are you looking to do that giant other category where maybe you'll go into finance or global policy or something?
1: Yeah. Well, as I kind of like gone through grad school, I realized that I did really enjoy spreading knowledge and and teaching and and kind of inspiring other people to further the field. So I'm hoping to eventually teach in higher education. And whether that happens directly out of graduate school, or if I kind of do a postdoc in the meantime, focusing on chemistry education, that would kind of be my eventual trajectory. So...
0: So an ivory tower academic, but but, but with outreach and and students being put first Mm -hmm. in your mind. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so what tips do you have for people who want to be like you? I mean, there must be somebody out there right now listening who's 16, 17 and thinking, someday I also want to win the SLES Graduate Education Fellowship and make awesome devices to concentrate patient samples. How do you get to do what you do?
1: To say work hard, I don't know if that's the, the best thing to say, but definitely... It might be a prerequisite. Yeah, like don't... don't um, Work hard, but also work smart. So, when I say work smart, don't be scared to connect with other people, ask people questions, don't stop learning, don't limit yourself to the knowledge you have. Keep, you know, listening and reading and learning things. That's really going to propel you forward and being well connected. So, you know, I don't know everything about everything but knowing who i can go to whether it's people in my lab or people i've just met through the walks of life and knowing you know who to go to for what if i have a question about a certain thing it really allows you to have really great conversations that can propel your thoughts and your research and whatever it is that you're trying to do forward so
0: mm-hmm.
1: Those are my tips, I would say.
0: Excellent. And now that you are part of the SLES community forever, haha! Um, <laughs> now that we've got you, what are you going to do with SLES in this opportunity? Um, who are you excited to meet? Are you excited to come to our virtual events? Are you thinking about publishing more in our journals? Um, how do you see SLES being part of your career development?
1: Yeah, so I guess it has already been part... I, I got to participate in one of the conferences a couple of years ago now. And I mean, one day, hopefully, we can go to in-person conferences again, and that would be a really nice experience. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in, in the virtual aspects of the conferences for now. I'm actually quite interested to get to know the other SLES fellowship winners more. Um, I've actually mm-hmm. gotten in touch with, I want to say everyone at this point. I've actually had the chance to meet the winner of this year. So oh, that wow, was that's great. Really cool. It reminds you that the world is very small, but just connecting with them and seeing how their experiences have been and, and where they're going and what they're doing, I think that's really interesting for me. And whether that's kind of directly through conferences or through other aspects, I'm quite interested in that.
0: Gotcha. And, and any final thoughts you want to share with a listening audience, um, scientific, personal, otherwise?
1: I want to tell everyone that everything's going to be okay right now. <laughs> I know it's a tough time. Um, for context,
0: we're in the middle of the COVID nineteen pandemic. For those listening, <laughs> five years on.
1: Um, sometimes it's hard to kind of stay focused right now, and, and there's a lot going on. But make sure to stay healthy, and you know whether physically, mentally, everything. Just take the time, take the time to relax, and know that if you don't get to do something today it'll happen tomorrow and some timelines might be changed but hopefully we're not going anywhere so
0: great thank you and safety above all we, we all wish the same kareen thank you very much congratulations again and we look forward to seeing you grow and develop with slas
1: of course thank you so much